Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It is the 17th of June, 2006. It's time for the UN Part 2. Unfree, undemocratic, anti-capitalist UN, as the UN or the ANTI seems to be an entirely appropriate acronym. We actually uh, have, uh, uh, it's one of the intermittent fact-based podcasts, which we try to throw in uh, just to confuse everybody who's used to just floating easily and possibly listlessly down the wide and foaming current of my random opinions. Here, we're going to shovel up against a couple of rocks of facts. So uh, I think that's probably worth um, <laughs> worth having a look at. So I'm going to reference a couple of articles here. I will put them on the board for those of you who are interested in going further into this topic. I'm sure it's going to be no shock to people about the uh, United Nations as a super government it has all of the characteristics of a government on steroids. It is the terminator of government agencies. And uh, let's have a look at some more information. There, of course, have been um, uh, solutions. Right, this has been. I'm going to reference a little bit later an article from the 1980s talking about UN corruption. It's been going on for quite some time, of course, and there's lots of uh, supposed reforms going on. There was reforms in the early 1990s designed to deal with um, whistleblower protection, and uh, corruption control, sweeping reforms 1997 and 2002. There's a world summit for reform in for 2005. There is, uh, or was, more plans for reform are in the works. And uh, this, of course, is there is now an, uh, uh, an office of ethics. And now it's expected to in introduce in May 2006, or introduced in May 2006, uh, an annual event, UN Ethics Day, which is nice to know that one day a year the UN is going to focus on uh, on ethics. Now, let's have a look at some, some of the sort of facts in the back. Well, one of the big problems with the UN is you can't audit it. Like, there's no capacity for anyone to look at the, uh, the full and clear set of accounts. Uh, the statistics vary even within individual agencies and programs. So the, the current core budget, this is of April 4, 2006, this is uh, How Corrupt is the United Nations, um, which is uh, by, uh, written by a journalist at the Foundation for Defensive Democracies. Well, the core annual budget is $1.9 billion. This is uh, U.S. The core is just a fraction of the actual budget. Around that core budget is wrapped billions more in funding provided by voluntary contributions from private and corporate donors and blah, 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 and the U.S. as well, of course. Uh, these amounts get shuffled around in various ways, and U.N. agencies uh, consistently... Um, pay or, or sort of donate to each other. For instance, the UN Development Program operates with its own core budget of about $900 million a year, but handles about $3 billion a year, or, depending on who you ask and what you count, uh, $4.5 billion a year. So there's, there's some variation, I guess you could say. Now, according to Mark Malock Brown, the UN Chief of Staff, who's just been promoted to the post of Deputy Secretary General, the total budget for all operations under direct control of the Secretariat comes to roughly, roughly, in the neighborhood of sort of around eight, maybe nine billion a year, right? This is this is someone who should know, right? And he's saying it's you know give or take, it's in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, if you uh, if you flew out of a cloud, you'd sort of land near uh, eight or nine billion. But if you add in just a few of the larger agencies like the UN Development Program, at about four billion, UNICEF. Uh, two, 2 billion or so. The World Food Program, 2 to 3 billion. Now, you're already somewhere around 18, 16 or, or 18 billion. Again, it sort of depends on who you listen to and what you can't. 
on U.S. websites devoted to procurement, where the idea is not to minimize the official amount of U.N. spending, but on the contrary to attract suppliers to the large and thriving U.N. market, the estimate of money spent on yearly on goods and services by the entire U.N. system comes to uh, about $30 billion, or more than 15 times the core budget of 1.9. See, the reformers are focusing on the 1.9. Um, as, as you'd expect, it's only a couple of percent of the actual uh, total budget. So, uh, and th- this is your money, right? This is this is money. This is your property taxes. This is your sales taxes. This is your income taxes. I mean, the UN uh, doesn't have a whole lot of businesses that it's funding itself with. This is all your money. Now, how many how many people does it employ? Well, there's this new ethics office just went into to effect. It's going to offer its services to 29,000 UN employees worldwide. Isn't that nice? I guess for Ethics Day. Um, which will probably be February the 30th. Um, so this number is, is pretty low relative to the total staff of the Secretariat, plus just the specialized agencies, which, again, according to this Mark fellow, consists of about 40,000 people. And this doesn't include local staffs, uh, you know, the, such as like the 20,000 Palestinians who work for the UN Works and Relief Agency, or the many employees, some long-term, some transient, at hundreds of assorted UN offices, projects, and operations worldwide, or the more than 85,000 peacekeepers sent by member states but carrying in, carrying out UN orders and eating UN-supplied rations bought via UN purchasing departments and so on. So, as I mentioned yesterday, the number of UN states, uh, member states has quadrupled since 1945 from 51, almost quadrupled, from 51 to 191. The number of personnel has fallen many, many times over from a few thousand in 1945 to somewhere in the six figures. Now, this is exactly what you'd expect. It's a, it's a, it's a bureaucracy, so this is what's, uh, this is what's going to, to happen. That's sort of uh, absolutely uh, inevitable. Now, here's something uh, interesting as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about the um, oil for food scandal that was going on, and I, I gave you a little bit of the, um, uh, the, um, uh, the procedures that got it going, going on. The, um, uh, the, the sheer monetary amounts... Uh, it doesn't really help us understand the extent of the damage done by the UN in, in Iraq. So this Kofi Annan's office had the mandate of the Security Council plus a $1.4 billion budget to check oil and relief contracts for price fiddles to monitor oil exports in order to prevent smuggling and to audit UN operations. In the event, or or as it turned out, the Oil for Food program that the bureaucrats spent spent far more money renovating its offices in New York than checking the actual terms of Saddam's uh, contracts and ignored the smuggling even when, as was widely known and reported, uh, Saddam in 2000 opened a pipeline to Syria. The rest, sort of the result of what Anand now placidly describes as instances of mismanagement, as if someone forgot to reload the office printer, was that Saddam skimmed and smuggled anywhere from $12 billion, according to the incomplete numbers supplied by Volcker, to $17 billion or more. So they're supposed to be getting aid to the Iraqi people. Their budget for renovating their offices is higher than the money they spend actually doing their job. It's, you know, typical. No reason to get upset. No reason to get angry. It's absolutely inevitable, right? It's like throwing yourself off a cliff and then being shocked when the ground doesn't give you a nice tidy hug as you approach, it's 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 inevitable. So what uh, what did they do? Well, they they enriched Saddam Hussein twelve to 
17 billion dollars and that's probably low as these things are always hidden and shredded and so on well um it's not just that people get to take money and retire uh you know this is money going directly into a, a dictator a tyrant and, and a mass murderer right so uh, i mean saddam of course um I mean, he built his palaces, he bought luxury cars, and, you know, built a bunch of rape rooms for his sons. You know, he was a good father. But he also provided patronage to loyal Baathists. He used the money to reward Palestinian suicide bombers and to restock his, his weapons arsenal, and so on. When, when CIA Chief Weapons Inspector Charles Dilfer went to Iraq in 2004 looking for weapons, the money trail took him straight to the UN relief operation, which, as he would report, had become a shill for an arms and illicit money network that reached through Syria to Belarus and Russia. So uh, this is uh, uh, quite a bit of of this uh, of this kind of stuff uh, going on. And that's just the oil for food. So since the summer of 2004, the UN's been uh, uh, hit with a whole bunch of bribery scandals, centering, as you would naturally expect, in its procurement department, handles the secretariat's buying of everything from paper clips to peacekeeper rations, so in August of last year, a UN staffer named Alexander Yakovlev pleaded guilty in federal court to taking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bribes involving possibly hundreds of millions of dollars worth of tainted contracts, many of them still in force. Um, and then in September, Vladimir Kuznetsov, the head of the UN Budget Oversight Committee, <laughs> isn't that funny, had to step aside under federal indictment as uh, his co-conspirator, the original guy's co-conspirator in wire fraud and money laundering. Shocking. And uh, so with this scandal still spreading, a number of other UN employees are now under investigation in cases involving something like about a billion dollars in UN contracts. Uh, Of course, nothing's ever going to happen. As soon as the reporters move on to other stuff, there's going to be a big sigh of relief and everyone will get back to funneling stolen taxpayer money to, uh, uh, to dictators. Now... Of course, that th- this generally only happens to staffers, right? I mean, the, the, the staffers will get indicted and might even get house arrest or something. Of course, they'll have a nice house because they've been bribed. <laughs> so they've got a, a really nice house. Their house arrest is, is like you and I being forced to stay at, at the Hilton. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, the chief guys, what happens is, if worst comes to worst, they, they step aside and they retire on full pension to their manners with, with all the money they stole. So there's really not a whole lot of, of downside to this. Uh, and here, uh, in, in the research that I've looked into, we have a Canadian who left. He was, he was originally, or, or was for a time, the head of Ontario Hydro, which is the big, ugly, vicious brute of a hydro system we have up in Canada here. It's socialized. They tried to desocialize it a couple of years ago and botched it completely. Our fabulous conservatives showing their allegiance to the free market. And so then he slithered off uh, after leaving the um, the uh, sort of public corporation uh, about 40, 30 to $40 billion, we don't know, in debt. He slithers off to the UN. And uh, so this, is, this guy is Maurice Strong, and he's a UN undersecretary general. He accepted a check bankrolled by Saddam in the amount of $988,885. Now, of course, he has no idea where the money came from. And, I mean, I, I, I can't blame that. I can't blame him for that at all. I mean, if somebody wants to give me a check for nearly a million dollars U.S., I'm just going to assume because I'm pretty, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that makes, makes sense to me. I mean, why would I, I mean, why would I even ask where the money comes from? 
they just must... Uh, uh, it's a donation. Yeah, okay, well, that makes sense. And uh, actually, I should put that in as a category for donating, just in case people are uh, are confused. So uh, this, uh, let's have a look at uh, a little bit more about the oil for food stuff, because I did mention it yesterday. Well, the um, the UN negotiated terms with Saddam, right? So Saddam uh, had to negotiate terms with the UN, and uh, the, the secretariat of the UN would collect 2.2% of his oil revenues to cover its cost in running and monitoring the relief program, right? So oil sales from Iraq were about $64 billion, which meant about $1.4 billion for the Secretary General's administrative spending over the seven-year life of the program. So if you sort of follow that, what it means is that that the UN Secretariat is being directly paid a lot of money by Saddam Hussein to do what? Well, to supervise Saddam Hussein. So, uh, no conflict of interest there, uh, and I'm sure that had nothing to do with uh, um, what happened, right? I mean, supposed to be Saddam's probation officer actually became his business partner, and really not uh, not <laughs> not too surprising about that at all. Now, there's a whole stuff here about it, the Ted Turner, right? This big 1997, uh, I guess, because uh, his wife wouldn't sleep him with him anymore, Lefty Jane. He donated a billion dollars to the UN, and you, of course, have noticed how wonderful the world has gotten since that happened. And uh, what what happens is now, of course, for uh, for the past eight years, in exchange for quite a bit less than the $1 billion he was supposed to give, he's, uh, he's taken a seat at the head table of the UN, right? I mean, <laughs> it's supposed to be an impartial public institution, not that there's any such thing, but um, uh, he's got to quite a lot of access and power in the UN uh, more than many of the actual governments that it's supposed to be making up its uh, um, making up its membership, and uh, he's um, he's uh, he's uh, he didn't sort of write a check for a billion dollars. It was supposed to be paying a hundred million per year. He then doubled that, and uh, um, what's happened, of course, is a portion of the gift to the UN goes not to the world's poor, but to a, uh, a sister organization called the Better World Fund which describes itself as a key advocate for the UN on Capitol Hill. Uh, so, over the past uh, couple of years, the Better World Fund has devoted more than $110, $110 million to lobbying. So, uh, that, of course, I'm sure is not for the UN, but for Ted Turner. So, this is a pretty nice way to end up being able to fund funnel money to the government to get, I'm sure, policies going his way without having to worry about all those pesky campaign donation laws. So, um, don't worry about this billion-dollar thing. And I don't think he ever mentioned that he wanted something in return, like being a, have a big seat in the UN boards. But that's uh, that's kind of funny. Now, here's some uh, fantastic uh, bits of accounting that you can find coming out of the UN. This is just lovely. So, of course, the uh, the um, UNFIP is um, uh, one of the sort of uh, United Nations Fund for International Partnerships. Right, international partnerships, because... That's uh, that's clear, right? And what's happened is that this is now paid by Turner's Foundation, and so um, uh, they've got uh, some public reports that come out really late, right? They, they sort of only after they're really pestered, because you know it's a government thing, right? So we have to file our taxes on time, but uh, the government or super government agencies don't don't have to. So here's some of their wonderful bits: a million dollars for strengthening the UN Secretariat, strengthening the UN Secretariat. 1.9 million for UN Dialogue with the Global South. 
uh, just under a million for supporting UN management reform. <laughs> now, isn't that a project you'd love to sign up for? 1.9 million for the Secretariat's Department of Public Information, because it's important when you're funded by violence to make sure that you've got good PR. Um, $117,000 for a multi-stakeholder meeting on best practices in partnership. And that is quite remarkable, of course. this You could never get away with this in the private sector, right? I mean, this is uh, it's quite, uh, quite remarkable when you see this kind of stuff. Uh, kind of stuff happening, not at all, not at all surprising. Now here, Kofi Annan has this uh, uh, thing, right? This thing called uh, launched in the fall of 2005. 2005. It's called the Alliance of Civilizations. The Alliance of Civilizations. And if that doesn't sound like something out of Star Trek: The Next Generation, I'm not sure what does. Uh, this is, of course, a. Um, it's a. It's it's actually not civilizations. It's Spain, Turkey and 20 unelected eminent persons picked by the Secretary-General, uh, most of whom have already spent years on the same UN conference circuits. So they're instructed to come up with an action plan to, quote, bridge divides. And what it so far has happened, really, is that it's a vehicle for Anand to resurrect as a special advisor. His, uh, his former chief of staff, Iqbal Riza, who retired in early 2005 after a... a um, uh, Volker's discovery that he had shredded three years' worth of UN executive suite documents potentially germane to the oil for food investigation, right? So this is the standard quid pro quo. If you keep uh, the scandal down by shredding all these documents, we will get you a nice juicy uh, paycheck and uh, a lot of money and, and so on. Now, there is um, uh, there, there's no way, almost no way, right? It's an important thing. There's almost no way to hold the UN accountable for most of what goes on inside the UN. This is true for governments as a whole, but, I mean, at least you get elections where you get this, like, fake uh, rule, right? So there's no national legal jurisdiction applies to the UN network. No media corps has the resources to deal with the entire network. Um, despite the Secretary General, who wields more control than anyone else in the system, um, there's no procedure at the UN for impeaching or firing the Secretary General, right? He's a he's like a dictator for life, right? I mean, it's, uh, this is the... Um, natural result of, of governments coming up with something that's supposed to promote freedom is that you want to point, appoint at the head of that uh, a dictator for life. Now, there's no way to fire the Secretary General and there's no uh, accountability, but there is quite a lot of PR machinery for glossing over anything that goes wrong. So, the Secretariat fields a Department of Public Information with an $85 million annual budget and more than 700 employees, about half of whom, whom staff UN public relations offices in more than 100 countries um, worldwide. So there's a public relations staff which is employed by each of the many agencies, commissions, and so forth. All of this promotional activity is further supplemented by the World Federation of United Nations Associations, founded in Luxembourg, ooh, it's a space aliens, in 1946, and now boasting more than 100 national chapters. The American chapter, UNA USA, fields more than 175 community-based chapters and organizations with nearly 20,000 20,000 members. So there's quite a lot of um, uh, power to control the flow of information as it goes out uh, for that, and that is uh, quite fascinating. Let's have a look at the um, the whole idea, right, of, of the UN, right? So founding purpose of the UN, to bring peace and prosperity to the globe, right? Because that's, I mean, I, I'm amazed that anybody even looks at this stuff anymore, right? I mean, they're there to pay themselves and to shaft the taxpayers, but, you know, it's good to have some PR, right?
It's like putting some uh, whipped cream on Stalin's stone visage and saying that you've uh, made him a good man, right? But uh, this is... Uh, um, uh, there's just no way to control the finances, the flow of information. It's international, it's hidden, it's secretive, and there's no external uh, verification of funds naturally because it's got all these huge flows of funds across borders. It's got tons of contractors, public-private partnerships, gigantic bureaucracies, no controls, and diplomatic immunity and a culture of impunity. The UN operation is a prime candidate, not only for graft, but as Charles, Charles Dufler discovered for arms deals masked as medicine and soap right so this this is uh, pretty pretty important to understand the um the, the money laundering capacity of the UN is considerable and and is actually quite uh, quite good at that now you could say that if you're interested in peace and prosperity you'd want to maybe prevent dictatorships from getting nuclear bombs i don't agree with that but at least that would be something that you could say as a mandate well it does uh it does pretty much a spectator, right? So North Korea, which came in in 1991, it, uh, the UN just responded to King, Kim Jong-il's nuclear weapons program by <clears throat> turning the problem over to the US and making itself irrelevant. On matters involving Israel and Palestine, which is one of the real obsessions of the UN, uh, of course, the hypocrisy is, is, is stunning. I mean, the UN, sorry, the Israel and Palestine are... A big mess all around, of course, and it's the natural result of uh, Israel's desire to go into the hotbed of all of its enemies, and it did that, of course, partly because of the crazy addiction to old texts, but also because governments love to be uh, in danger, right? Because if in danger, they get money. If they had uh, been handed over a canton in Switzerland, they wouldn't be able to get the uh, Israel Defense Fund going, and they wouldn't be able to get uh, all of the uh, donations that they get uh, around the world. Now, the UN programs which have been set up to help the Palestinians over the past half century, of course, uh, Palestine is a complete mess. Uh, it's helped create a culture of entitlement and violence. And, of course, if you knew that, I can't remember how many, it's like four or five billion dollars that, um, oh, the head of uh, Palestine, what's his blobby? Um, Oh good heavens! I should, <laughs> I should, I should be more prepared and know this. Yasser Arafat. Good heavens! How could I forget that, Mr. Egghead? Um, that he, of course, ended up with a couple of billion dollars in his bank account, and the real question, of course, is how? Because it's not like there's a big thriving economy within Palestine that he can tax. Well, the answer is that, of course, a lot of it came from the uh, the United Nations. Now we know, of course, that uh, soldiers uh, tend to be. Uh, not, uh, well, we say we know, I believe, and I've seen lots of evidence this way, soldiers are not exactly the most uh, moral of people to, to begin with, and you put them in a war situation, things get particularly haywire. There's a peacekeeping, of course, uh, which since the end of the Cold War has been a real boon for the UN. Now, the expansion of the UN missions has brought everything from widespread allegations of corruption, to drug dealing, to rape, and the sexual exploitation of Hungry Children, particularly vile. It's a uh, columnist, Mark Stein, has uh, put it uh, as sex for food. And uh, in large parts of the undeveloped world, the appearance of blue-helmeted forces has come to signal a warning. Stay away and definitely lock up your children. And that is something also that's pretty pretty wretched. Of course, these blue-helmeted forces, they uh, can't get anything done. Uh, they've got uh, manpower plus a budget that ought to qualify the UN 
as a fairly formidable military power. Uh, it doesn't do anything in Rwanda and Srebrenica. It didn't act in Sudan. It did nothing in Darfur. Um, it has yet to muster even the integrity to kick Sudan off its Geneva-based Human Rights Commission, which has doubled as a clubhouse for the world's worst regime. Right. So in the Human Rights Commission, we currently have uh, China, uh, Cuba, Saudi Arabia, and Zimbabwe. As for disaster relief, the record is similarly ridiculous. When the tsunami hit Asia in December 2004, the uh, U.S. and countries like Australia rushed to help the victims, so they say uh, the U.N. rushed to help itself, and so it demanded exclusive rights to direct the aid effort and the money. And so the U.N. officials warned loudly of a health crisis that never materialized, uh, denounced the U.S. as stingy, of course, as a completely anti-U.S., promised transparent use of funds, uh, it is transparent in that they will quickly become invisible. And a year later, the Financial Times reported that from what little could be gleaned from the UN's largely incomplete and secret accounts, the organization's expenditures on overhead, such as uh, travel, hotel rooms, lavishly funded international talk fests and the like, were triple those of private charities. I mean, this, of course, is, is far too conservative. Um, well, of course, the UN is a philosophy is is uh, it's it's global socialism and it's all it, all it really is right they're they're completely anti-capitalist of course they're completely uh, dedicated to um central command and control economies uh, because of course they're so good at running their own uh, economy that they can be um uh, perfectly uh, legitimately uh, they can be be perfectly um believable in their contention that uh, governments should run everything because they have uh, figured it out uh, so well by, uh, you know, throwing lots and lots of money at the Palestinian Authority um, and uh, throwing money to North Korea and so on. I mean, they, they really have figured out exactly how to do it right. Now, I'm just going to read very briefly from an article that was uh, written in, gosh, 1984. <laughs> uh, this is called The Case Against the United Nations by Ian Geldard which was originally published in Foreign Policy Perspectives, number three, an occasional publication of the Libertarian Alliance uh, in, in, uh, in England. The director is Dr. Charles R. Tame, which is uh, not quite the right word, I think, for a libertarian, uh, the right name, but uh, we'll, we'll survive it. Now, this is sort of what was going on uh, 20, over 20 years ago. Uh, in 1959, a Gallup poll found 87% of Americans convinced that the UN was good, doing a good job in a Roper poll released by the UN Association on September 19th, 1983, the figure was down to 10%. I wonder where it is now. Um, this, uh, in, in the 1984, uh, the budget is kind of funny. The 25 industrial democracies who represent 14% of the voting members pay 75% of the overall budget, whilst the voting majority, the 125 members of the so-called non-aligned movement, pay 11%. Uh, America pays 25%, the Soviets cover only 10%, and around 100 million pounds in arrears, which is quite a sum of money when you remember this is 20 years ago. Back then, there were half a million people employed in 24 countries, and of course, this was a valuable cover in the 80s for Soviet, East European, Cuban, and other kinds of espionage services uh, of the uh, bureaucracy. The Secretary General Perez de Cuela estimated in 84 that only one in four of his employees was actually doing any kind of useful work. They were paid pretty well too, 35% more than British civil servants who were not exactly underpaid uh, at the time. And 
there is a curious double standard that's sort of noted in the UN all, all the way back in 84. You get the US, Israel, and South Africa are targeted for real or imaginary crimes, but uh, so, you know, they, uh, the Republic of China on Taiwan was expelled in 74. South Africa was not permitted to take its seat in the General Assembly. Israel, of course, uh, the UN's favorite uh, whipping boy. Um, however, uh, you know, there have been 150 resolutions condemning Israel, even in 84. No re- resolutions were ever drafted or passed concerning the Soviet invasion and occupation of Afghanistan, the imposition of martial law in Poland, or Libya's aggression against Chad, the Soviet invasion of Hungary and Czechoslovakia, Red China's invasion of Tibet, were totally ignored when it came to communist imperialism and third world genocide. The UN's silence is deafening. Uh, in 84, the, um, the Committee for the Exercise of the Inalienable Rights of the Palestinian People, Sirpa, and the Special Unit on Palestinian Rights were funded the sum of £3.5 million pounds in a year. Right? I, I can't even imagine what that's going to be in dollars, probably $20, $25 million in, in today's uh, amount. And, uh, of course, this is the money that, uh, by going to the predatory and uh, sadistic leadership, does the exact opposite of helping the, uh, the, uh, the poor, right? the, the, the poor Palestinians, right? Now, let's have a look at this sort of global socialized thing, right? I mean, the third world Marxist movement and the support for the former Soviet Union or the Soviet Union when it was there, um, there was um, the General Assembly led an attack on the market-oriented economic system in the 70s when it approved the declaration of the establishment of a new international economic order and a charter of economic rights and duties of states, among other things. The declaration endorsed the right of nations to nationalize foreign business concerns, and develop cartels. Now, um, in the UN's Economic and Social Council's proposed consumer guidelines, which was drafted by a Norwegian socialist, or just um, a Norwegian, contained all of the old anti-capitalist cliches, quote, the emergence of the market economy may be accompanied by several practices prejudicial to consumers. Shortages may be artificially induced by speculation. Buying on credit may give rise to usury and defective weights and measures and adulterated goods may become commonplace. On the other hand, the study has nothing but praise for collectivism observing that, quote, states often act on behalf of consumers in the purchase of goods and services and obtain high quality, and obtain high quality goods at reasonable prices. And so this is all uh, complete uh, nonsense, of course, that uh, is exactly the kind of stuff that you would expect from this sort of uh, uh, international uh, socialist stuff. Uh, so this is a really... Uh, quite uh, quite horrible and ridiculous, I think, would be the phrase. So uh, I will uh, get to another podcast in the morning. I hope that you have enjoyed this little tour through the uh, vile, evil, and destructive uh, bureaucracy that is the United Nations. I'm sure I'm preaching a little bit to the choir here, but it may be useful stuff for you to have at your fingertips should you ever end up talking with somebody who has some sort of rosy-cheeked view or rosy-eyed view of the United Nations. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, I would, uh, of course, take donations far less than a, a billion dollars, less even than the $988,000 that went to Maurice Strong. Uh, I could go for a tenth or maybe even um, a twelfth of that. So feel free to drop by freedomainradio.com. Click on the donate button. I will take your donations. We also have a new customer survey, listener survey, at freedomainradio.com. If you could spend a few minutes coming through and having a a go through the survey 
I would really appreciate it uh, for two reasons. One is that it gives me a stronger sense of feedback in terms of the stuff that you like and, and uh, what you think of the, um, of the podcast and so on. It also gives me some nice juicy quotes to include in uh, the sort of mail-outs that I, I send to people trying to lure them into the uh, wild and frothy world of Free Domain Radio. And secondly, of course, if we get enough positive feedbacks, then I could begin working to get sponsorship for a radio show, which to me would be um, oh, the kind of fun you just don't see every day. So thanks so much for listening. If you could come by to freedomainradio.com and click on uh, the Take 5 graphic to complete the survey, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, also, if you'd like to sign up for FeedBurner to let yourself get emailed whenever new material pops up, that would be great. Feel free to drop by freedomainradio.com forward slash B-O-A-R-D. And I think that's all the tidy bureaucratic business for today. So thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you soon.